Right on. Hello, everybody. Good to see you. Happy Tuesday. You guys excited about it's it's the Mega Tuesday? There's a guy. There's a guy I follow on TikTok. He's always like posting about Tuesday every time it's a Tuesday, uh, and he was really excited about today. <laughs> Let me tell you, <laughs> the the the, twos, the Tuesday right here is pretty exciting. Anyways, that's not what I'm here to talk uh, to you about tonight, but. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So uh, that's what we are getting into tonight is, as Matt said, a new series called Community of Victory. And we've got these snazzy new orange handouts. And so what I want to briefly just cover here is, okay, what, what is this all about? There's some background here. It's not quite as, um, you know, juicy or, or sexy as the whole love, sex, and relationships thing. We're kind of getting a little more, a little more hardcore biblical on you, but hopefully this is... Hopefully this is still, you know, practical to us. I want to make sure that we're still kind of engaged with this and really trying to be, make sure that we're challenged by everything that God wants to say to you. And you, maybe this is your first time here, or maybe you've been with us this whole semester so far for a long time. And either way, I think that God wants to, to challenge you and maybe encourage you, but especially just to toward growth and toward transformation that he wants to do in your life because there's so much, so much great things that God has in store for you if you commit your life to him and if you just continue to explore just what it means to follow him. And so that's my encouragement to you on the right off the bat here, I guess. And so the background here is that in two chapters of the book of Revelation, the Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And the last two or two of the chapters in that book are basically letters to churches of that time. And so the premise here is that Jesus, like the resurrected Jesus, through the guy named John, writes these letters to these seven ancient churches in that kind of time and place. And what he writes to them is actually pretty interesting because it's not just like we're going through someone's mail here or anything. This is like in the Bible. So, okay, I guess... Maybe we should pay attention to this. Like, what's it, what's it all about? Well, these letters, they contain kind of encouragement and correction and all kinds of just unique things depending on the church. The, the churches were struggling with and going through certain things that were unique to their uh, location uh, geographically and the people there. And, and Jesus is telling them just to either remain on track or to maybe get back on track. And there's these kind of different things that he talks about. And so our, our goal for the next just three weeks here before spring break is to just take three of these letters to churches, one starting tonight, et cetera, uh, and to just dive into this and to kind of pick apart, like, what, what could this have to do with us, like, right now? Because this, is, this was a while ago that this was written. But hopefully this has some resonance. It has some meaning for us that I'd like to draw out, but especially I'd like God, <laughs> this Holy Spirit to draw out for us as we read uh, the text together. And one thing that's interesting and significant about these seven letters is that they all have this thread running through them of this phrase, to the one who is victorious. There's this little circular thingy on your hand out there that says, to the one who is victorious. What's that all about? So this idea is that as these commendations or warnings are given throughout the letter, at the end, he says, to the one who's victorious, 
I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Or I will give authority over the nations. Or they will be dressed in white. There's these different sort of symbolic pictures and ideas of the reward that comes to those who walk faithfully and end up in in victory in spite of the struggles that people 2,000 years ago in churches were dealing with and struggles that we're dealing with right now, right, you know, today. And so this has applicability for us. And so um, in a particular commentary on the book of Revelation, um, the author says that John concludes each of these letters with a promise that is addressed to those who are victorious. Language that assumes that at least one way of perceiving Christian life is that of continuous warfare, presumably in the ultimate battle of life against Satan and his minions. Whoa. And so this victory that we're seeing here, that is, this is all about, the community of victory, this victory implies a struggle. You can't be victorious unless you conquer something or overcome something. So there is struggle, and there is things for us to overcome. And there were things that for these church communities to overcome 2,000 years ago. And so in Ephesians 6, verse 12, in the Bible, it says, for our struggle, this struggle that we're locked in here, is not against flesh and blood, or you and me, or anything like that. No, this is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That's a, that's a lot, you know, I understand, to unpack. But the bottom line is that there is a spiritual war going on. And you and I need to maintain faithfulness amidst the war in order to achieve victory. And so, like I said, my goal here is to break down just one letter to a particular church from this time and apply it to us. And so the church that I'm going to be talking about is addressed to a church in the city of Sardis. It's an ancient city. Uh, there's a lot of historical things I could get into, and I'm not going to. But there's a passage at the top of your handout that I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to read. So you can uh, read along with me if you like. It says, to the, church, sorry, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Wake up, it says. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold fast, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In the middle here, there is a potent warning, is there not, to, to wake up, to, to jostle you, to jostle this church community awake from a slumber, from, from death, it says. Now, last night, I went to bed. 
my wife and I were in bed, and we woke up in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock because we heard someone screaming. That's not the thing you want to hear, you know, in the middle of the night. And it's from outside, and whether you, the window was open or closed, you could still, like, hear it. And it was just like, you couldn't ignore it. It was just, like, kept going. It, was, it sounds like, like a woman who was sort of, like, scream crying. It was, like, really hard to listen to, and it was just kept going. And it would stop, and then maybe five or ten minutes later, it would pass, pass, and we'd kind of start to drift back to sleep. And then it would start again. And we're like, wow, what's going on? This happened for like an hour or so. And I, I don't even know. I, I wish I had answers, but we were just good, like startled, <laughs> awake by this, by this situation, by this person just screaming, just even though there's no threat around. We, couldn't, we looked at the window, couldn't see anything. I don't know what's going on. But it was, it was alarming. It was, it was a wake-up call in a sense. It was, it was impossible to ignore, and it, just, it got our attention. You know, and we just couldn't ignore it. And so that's kind of the way I see this, this letter to this church, because some of the other letters are pretty positive at the beginning. They say, Jesus says, I know your deeds. You know, you do this pretty well and this well. He comes right out the gate. Wake up. <laughs> and so, oh, man, it's startling. That's hard to ignore, right? And so God is using this letter to get the attention of the community of Sardis, before it's too late. And it's meant to jostle them out of their complacency. And so I hope that this passage jostles us to, you know, at least consider what is my spiritual condition and and what are the ways that you need to revive that which is dead? What are the things that you need to revive this, which is dead. So I want to give just four steps from this passage to spiritual resurrection, in a sense, spiritual resurrection. And the first of these steps, summarized in one word, is realize. Realize. You see, real eyes, realize. <laughs> real eyes, yeah? Okay. To the church, it says, it goes on at the beginning of the passage, to the church, to the angel of the church in Sardis writes, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Why is Jesus telling them that they're dead? Why is Jesus telling them that they're dead? because I don't know it. When you're dead, you're not aware that you're dead. When you're asleep, you're not aware that you're asleep unless you're having one of those you know, weird lucid dreams, right? And so, in another part of that commentary I mentioned earlier, the author says that John's words, he's, when he's talking about this phrase, wake up, John's words are literally become watchful. After all, the imagery is not that of people who are sleeping, but of those who appear to be alert, Right? yet in fact are quite unaware of their desperate situation. They're totally without comprehension as to their own condition. This is where we find the church in Sardis. And, because, and so we, we see here, and what we know from, from life, is that people, that humans, are susceptible to deception. You and I are susceptible to deception. And we can be deceived by other people, right, through manipulation. But, and perhaps much more dangerously, we can deceive ourselves, right? 
And so self-deception convinces us that our history or our reputation or the way we, we look to others indicates our spiritual health. We can put on the appearance of spiritual health while being inwardly spiritually dead. In an article from desiringgod.org, it says, there is something powerfully deceptive about a reputation. We can easily be deceived into thinking that if others see us as alive, then perhaps it's true. And so we need to watch out. We need to be on guard against this self-deception. And in the Bible, in James 1, verse 22, the book of James, the author's talking about how our faith produces good works. Good works do not save us. They are not a means of earning salvation, but good works are the way that our real salvation plays out. It is the way that we demonstrate our salvation that God has bought for us. And so in James 1.22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, deceiving yourselves. How do you not deceive yourself then by being a doer and not just a hearer? How do you keep from deceiving yourself by being a doer and not just a hearer? And so that's one element here, one aspect, is that we gotta make sure that we are not merely listening and putting on a show and giving off the appearance, the projection of life, of health, right? And, uh, but another aspect of this I wanna cover too is that we can even give into or be caught up in a sense in the whirlwind of activity, a spiritual activity even, where you and I, we might, you go to Bible study, you know, and you go to, you go to church on Sundays, you come to challenge, Thanks, that's great. I love it that you're here. And there's all these different things we can be a part of. But if we're still not producing the fruit that God wants to produce in your life, the fruit of transformation, the fruit of discipleship, the fruit of good works that he has prepared for you to do. Dawson Troutman, the leader of the Navigators Ministry, he says that action is no substitute for production. So in some sense, it's not just enough to be active, but we also need to make sure that our action is is producing something. One thing I said two weeks ago was that the fruit fruit of our lives is what we produce. We produce a certain kind of fruit, whether good or bad. And so we want to make sure that we are producing good fruit in accordance with the real, the, the, the life that God has hopefully placed within us. Right Now, reading a passage like this one in Revelation, this gives, this gives us an opportunity, guys, to check our spiritual vitality, to check our pulse, right? You kind of, what is it? You grab the wrists like this or something? I don't know, I don't know how this works at all, guys. You know, but you grab the wrists in order to check, okay, in movies and stuff, do they have a pulse? You know? And then that determines for you whether they're alive or, you know, or if they're breathing or whatever, Right? It's our, di- it's our way of diagnosing, okay, is this person, like, a, what's going on here? Once again, I don't know how to do that at all. But we need, to ch- we need to check our pulse sometimes. We need to check our pulse. We need to be kind of regularly, I would say, just checking in, both inwardly to look around and say, okay, is this looking right to me? Is this good? But also, we want to make sure that we're asking God. I, I implore you, ask God to show you 
what's missing or what's dead. God wants, God knows every little tiny detail of your life. And just like that song said, like it doesn't, he doesn't care. He knows all the mistakes that you've made, all the sins that you've committed. And he, he loves you anyways. And so he is ready and available to offer his guidance, his wisdom that, that penetrates our soul, that shows us, that can show us the depths of our need for him in certain areas of our life. Psalm 139, 23 says, it's a plea. He's asking, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. This is in Psalm 139. He's like, God, I want you to search me, partially because we know that I'm, I'm sinful, I'm wicked. I can't, I can't fully search my own soul with any kind of unbiased uh, input here. I need your help, Lord, to, to search me. And then, and then another way that we can to do this is to, 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 be under, to understand better what our spiritual condition is, to ask other people. If there's, there's probably other people in this room who are invested in your growth and want to see you thrive as a disciple of Christ. And if you were to ask them, hey, what is, what is something that you see that I'm you know, struggling with that needs more spiritual vitality? Check the pulse on my spiritual life and like confirm for me, is this more than just a haze that I'm putting, putting out for people to see? But is this real, you know? This is something that somebody can help you to diagnose. And so to begin, we need to, we need to realize, we need to realize that we're dead in the first place in order to make any kind of progress, right? And then the second is to remember, remember. You can write that down if you want to do that. We need to first realize the condition of our, of our sinfulness, of our, of our deadness before God in order to take action. And so the first action we need to do is remember. And it says here in verse three of this chapter, or this, this passage I just read, it says, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Now, I don't know specifically what the church at Sardis received and heard. He's kind of talking about something that was, it's like something past tense. It's like, hey, you guys remember this? Yeah, cool. And I don't know what that was, but there are cues in God's word. There's some clues here regarding the kinds of things that are worth remembering that are going to bring us closer to spiritual vitality. And so I have three things I just want to list for you here that I think would be helpful as we're trying to remember things that are going to point us toward being restored to life in God. And so the first is to remember God's works. Remember God's works. And so back in the Old Testament, there's this book, the fifth book, it's called Deuteronomy. Yeah, Deuteronomy. And it's, it's basically the premise is that Moses is there in Deuteronomy with the, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, and they've had all this crazy stuff happen to them already. And God has rescued them from the power, from slavery to the Egyptians, this, this powerhouse nation of the time. And he's rescued them from that and brought them through their wilderness. And he, here they are in the, in the middle of the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses takes the moment to reflect, 
to reflect on what God's brought them through, to reflect on what God has done by his hand alone, really. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. And so the works here, he goes on in this chapter to talk about these amazing, miraculous things that God had done in just in their midst, just to lead them, but also to provide for them and to take care of them in the midst of so much hardship and suffering that these people went through. And so, God, God has done powerful things in the lives of his people as we read in the Bible. It's recorded in there for us to see. And we can, we can take that in and go, okay, like God has got me because he had Moses. God's got me because he had David in the Psalms, whatever. And, and then also on top of that, he may have, he's probably done some powerful things in your life. And so you need to, we need to remember these moments we need to remember these moments to, to maintain our awareness of our dependence upon him. We need him in this. And so we need to remember God's works. The second is to remember God's words. Remember God's words. And so from, his, from the Bible, he gives us, well, commands. He gives us things to do, to obey. Why? It's not to get us down. It is to glorify him and to bring us the most satisfying life that we can have, in fact. He says in Deuteronomy 8, 6, later in that chapter, so obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. But even these commands, these things that God has asked us to do, we can forget. We can become absent-minded about what he has, he has asked us to do, he's commanded us to do for his glory and for our good. So we got to remember, okay, what does the Bible have to say about this? And so that's another thing I encourage you to make sure that you are employing in your pursuit of spiritual vitality and res- resurrection is remembering God's words. And then third here, remember God's words, remember God's words, remember God. Just remember God. It's that, just that simple. I didn't have a clever W word to insert at the end here. I thought about it, trust me. He says, in Deuteronomy 8, 18, remember the Lord your God. He is the one. He is the one. He gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. All this ancestors and the oath and the covenant, this, ha- this has to do with Israel's relationship to God. But we see here, just remember God, he says. Remember the Lord your God. Why? Because he is the one who gives you power. He's the one who strengthens you and provides for you. Remember God. And and this is beyond just what he does for us, but who he is. Remember remember God and, and walk with him and spend time with him and fellowship with him and experience just the joy of of intimacy with God, really. And that is how we can find happiness. We can, we can find happiness by just connecting with God, our Savior, our Lord. And this is how we can help to remember, to, to make sure to restore elements, parts of our life 
that are in spiritual decay. And so he wants to, if he's at the center of your life, then that is making it so difficult for these other things to creep in and to corrupt your life and to deceive you. Yeah. The third thing here, part of this, is to repent. The third R is to repent. We've got an R theme here. It's the most, uh, oh shoot, there's a, not the office quote here somewhere. Um, the most menacing of sounds. That's why they call it murder, not muck duck. That's the, uh, there it is. R, uh, repent. That's just a little random thing. Just You can write that down if you want. Probably, probably shouldn't do that. Don't worry about it. So once we've realized our problem before God, and, and when we remember God and his truth, we need to act on it through or by way of repentance. We need to repent. And so back in Revelation chapter 3, verse 3, it says, hold it fast, these things you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And so this phrase, hold it fast, what's that? There's other translations that are a little more clear. Maybe it says, it says to keep it or to hold to it firmly. I picture like a tight grip that we need to have. We need to be diligent to, to hold on to these things, these things that we've remembered. Remembering God's works, remembering God's word, remembering God himself as our, as our creator, as our savior. And, and, and simultaneously, we need to let go of that which separates us from God, be it idolatry, you know, idolizing things above God in our lives. This is the thing that happens. This is the thing that creates the spiritual decay. We need to let go of sin. We need to let go of selfishness in our lives and in our hearts. And then with that, we need to firmly grasp the truth and life that he gives. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And so any guilt and grief regarding our sin, it ought to lead to repentance or else it's not godly sorrow, essentially. You know, it needs to lead us toward responding to his love and not just wallowing in our, our sorrow and our guilt we need to act and respond in repentance. And finally here, John 14, 21 says, he who has my commandments, this is Jesus talking, he who has my commandments. Now that's, that's just like this remember verbiage, right? He says, remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast. And so now Jesus says, he who has my commandments, he who remembers my commandments and keeps them, also from that verse, and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so there is a progression here. As we diagnose, all right, am I in need of spiritual revival in my life? Am I, do I need to realize that I'm spiritually dead on the inside or in some part of my life? And then I need to remember these truths that God's given me. I need to repent of these things. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them and repents from these wrongdoing is he that loves me. And then he says, I will manifest myself to him. And that is what we need for the fourth step is revive, revive. There's kind of a subtle irony here. And maybe it's because I didn't think about it long enough. But if you're dead, you're unable to revive yourself, right? <laughs> but, but see, Jesus manifests himself to us so that he can revive us. Jesus manifests himself to us so that he can revive us. So any, any effort that we can produce to revive ourselves is, is fruitless in a way. So don't, we need to receive, in a sense, his revival. We need to ask for his revival in order to resurrect these dead areas, dead parts of our life that lead us far from him. And the last bit of this chapter, toward the last bit of the, the passage here, Revelation 3, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. One, one last element of this, uh, this commentary I read says that what has been lost in Sardis, that Jesus is diagnosing, but what has been lost in Sardis is the life that the spirit alone brings, that God alone brings. That's, this is the key here. We, do not, we cannot revive ourselves. I can't find another person on earth who's going to be able to revive me but we need his help. We need him to revive us because this is the life that the spirit alone brings that we need. And then finally in Romans 8.13, it says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do you put to death the deeds of the body? By the spirit, by the spirit. As I close here, Revelation 3, verse 6 says, whoever has ears, y'all got ears? Yeah, that means you. <laughs> whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now granted, you know, we all got ears. We got that. Good, good job. But this is also metaphorical, right? This is like, whoever is attentive, whoever actually sits back and listens for a moment to these words that he has to say to the church in Sardis. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Why? So that we can be encouraged, so that we can be strengthened, and yes, so that we can be challenged and transformed by what God wants to do in us. And so this message to Sardis, you know, it has resonance for us 2,000 years later. And honestly, I believe that even if you're not following God at this second, I think this could have resonance for you right now. Because this process of spiritual resurrection is the same. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, and this, is, this, this letter was written to a church. So yeah, this is people who, who are supposedly, right, followers of God. And he's saying, hey, we, you need to realize that you're dead. You need to remember what you've lost. You need to repent and you need my help to revive you. 
And that, that's true for us. If we are spiritually dead, even if, we've, even if we are followers of Christ, we need to make sure that we are, we are switching, that we're turning around and that we are heeding these, these instructions he gives us. And the same is true for you though, if you are not a follower of Christ, if you're not a member of the church as a whole, but it, it could be true of you because every single person, including myself, needs to realize our need for a savior, realize our deadness apart from him. And we need to remember or rather know and be made aware of the truth of his work, of his, of his power and what his word has to say and remember and understand what, who he is. And then we must repent and, and then be revived, Re- receive the revival that comes from God alone, by the spirit alone. And so if that has not happened for you yet in your life, then I encourage you, I encourage you that you would take hold of this and think about it or decide for yourself tonight. Yeah, I'm gonna do that tonight. And regardless of whether you're, wherever you are in your spiritual walk, uh, we need to make sure that we, are, we have ears. We need to make sure that we have ears, both literally and metaphorically, to, to be attentive to what God wants to say to each of us through, through Sardis and through coming churches in the next two weeks. So we're going to be looking at that. Before we end, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, just thank you so much for the revival, the re- resurrection that you have achieved first and foremost. You have made this happen for us. By your spirit, by your grace alone, we're able to come near to you and experience life eternal. And I pray that on an individual level that we would embrace these truths and that we would come away from here with something to take away, that we would come away from here ready to take action and repent in some way or to choose, to, choose productivity in an area of our spiritual life. But I also ask, Lord, God, this was written to a church community. And God, we are a community here and I would hate for this to be true of us as a community, as a group. And so, Father, fill us, fill this community with your spirit and restore all that, all that has decayed and bring us toward you, closer to you so that we can experience a, a kind of revival that your spirit alone brings. We cannot create it ourselves. We acknowledge that. And so please, Lord, use us in the space around us and revitalize, revitalize us in whatever ways we need your, your hope, your resur- resurrection, your restoration, Lord. And praise in Jesus' name, amen.